feel like a, a high school kid going to that class. You remember that class? Remember this one? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's where I'm at this morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, excited, excited to be here with you today. Excited uh, for what God has in store for us today from his word. And I'm most excited just to see you, whether I, I'm seeing you physically or I'm seeing you virtually, whichever that is, uh, we continue to, to work on things. We've added another element to try to make the at-home experience even just a little bit better. Uh, if I trip and fall over these cords, I apologize in advance. So uh, don't laugh for too long. All right, get, get over it and we'll move on to the next thing. All right. uh, I want to let you know, in association with the meeting next Sunday, um, that's, that's one of those meetings that uh, every non-for-profit organization has to have, according to the state of Indiana, and that's uh, to show you guys the budget and those kinds of things. And then we've been talking about the bylaws um, for the last few weeks. We had a meeting last Sunday night uh, afternoon uh, about those. And if you wanted one out there on the Welcome Center, actually just to the right of it, um, is the budget sheet for this next year. Uh, nothing changed overall. It's, it's the exact same budget. We just had to shift some things because we've had some new expenses. And so we actually just took from other parts of the budget to cover those expenses. Didn't increase anything or anything like that. Um, and we'll explain all that, you know, next week. So you'll be in the know, if you will, in the know. Did anybody enjoy, did anybody actually get to sleep an extra hour? And did you actually trick your body or did you eat up the same time you do every single morning of your life? Yeah, I, I know. That's just the way, that's the way it works. But you feel better. You should. Oh, you so should. Oh, it's beautiful, sunshiny morning. You got, when you got out of bed, the sun was up and it, oh, it's just a beautiful thing. I, I, you got to learn to appreciate those things. I was texting with somebody, well, it was yesterday. I said, hey, you got to get outside. Like, why? I said, we don't have many more of these days left in 2020. You got to enjoy them uh, while they last before the, the doldrums of winter get here. It is great to be with you. This is week five out of seven. So we got two more weeks after today of this 40 days in the Word study. I hope so many of you have been able to keep up with the daily devotions online um, because Amber has done an awesome job. Our, our new administrative assistant has done an incredible job of getting those things programmed in for us. So we get them each and every morning. So do me a favor. Tomorrow morning, when you get that in your email, would you reply to her and tell her thank you um, from, from us? I don't think she gets hardly any feedback or anything like that. Uh, you should know it should have switched over uh, this next week. It will actually say that it's from Amber and not from Kathy any longer. We were finally able to, to get those things changed over for her. But let her know how much you appreciate that and just her communications and uh, keeping up with the, the prayer mail and things like that throughout the week. It is crucial. I don't ever want to forget to mention that prayer card. Fill that out. If you've got prayer requests that we need to address and things that, that aren't on there, fill that card out. Drop it in the offering on your way out so she can send those out to us um, throughout the week. All right, let's take a real quick moment and let's review kind of each of the weeks so far before we dive in to today. All right, hopefully you'll be able to do that with me. Let me get this. Yeah. Oops, that's not it. <laughs> Try that again. Normally, I do this very first thing. That's very strange that I skipped it. I don't know why I, I skipped that. That's, that's, that's weird. It's just one of those mornings. It's, it's a time change. That's what it is. It's the, blame it on the time change, right? I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll blame it on something, but it's my fault in the end. Uh, here's where we've been so far. Week number one, way back in the day, we gave you an idea of why it was so important to build your life on the Word of God. And hopefully you remember some of those things. Setting it as the rock, the foundation of your life. Then we begin to show you some ways to actually accomplish that within your life. Week two, we talked about the inspiration of Scripture. Those were the, the seven reasons why we know that this is, in fact, truth. It is, in fact, the Word of God. We looked at the, the scientific reasons, historical reasons, prophetic reasons, and others as to why we know this is the Word of God and not just some book written by man. Week three, 
In week three, we looked at the seven ways that God's word can change our lives, the way that he will transform us to make us into the kind of person that he ultimately wants us to be. And then last week was all about illumination, having our minds, having our hearts, having our eyes opened to what God wants to show us in his word, allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and enlighten us as we study his word. My encouragement would be to you, if you've missed any of those along the way, would you please go back and give them a chance? Give God's word an opportunity to begin to change you, to convince you of the importance of his word and its incredible, miraculous ability to radically transform you. It's the only thing that can. This week, we get to look at kind of a cool topic. It's, it's the topic of observation in Scripture. How do I do a Bible study on my own? One of the realities that, that I've come to experience over the years within the church is, is this. Um, sometimes the church does a great job of teaching the Bible and what's in it. But we've done a very poor job of teaching you how to study the Bible on your own. You see, we're always challenging people to read God's Word. We're always challenging people to study and to pray and to do those things. But so oftentimes, we don't teach them how to do it on their own. We haven't shared with them specific methods and strategies and ways to get started on a study, then to maintain the study, and then how to get the most possible good out of such a study. That's why I'm so grateful that God gave us this series to study together. He's begun opening the minds and hearts. I've heard several comments from many people about how they're realizing this importance in their life. And so now we've had this tool, this Bible, this God's word in front of our, our eyes, our entire lives, but maybe for the first time, we're able to learn how to take full advantage of it, to become the men and women that God desires us to be, to love and to lead those around us to Jesus, to help us as a body of Christ grow deep and deep and deep into his word and wide as we reach out to the community with the love and the teachings of Jesus Christ. So today, today our goal is this. So today our goal is to show you how to get the most out of a study when you sit down to study the word of God on your own. So this won't be a normal Sunday. This won't be a teaching of a Bible study. This will be a teaching of how to do a Bible study on your own. So it's a little bit different for everybody, all right? The secret, the secret of a Bible study is this. You have to ask the right kinds of questions. And the more questions you ask, the more you're going to get out of it. You see, this Bible is a supernatural book. You can study a passage over and over and over and never quit learning from it. So from the most incredible teachings, such as Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, all the way through the poetry of Psalms, when we pray that prayer that I keep repeating, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your word, O God. Before we open his book, when we pray that prayer, he may choose to reveal something to you you've never, ever, ever seen before. However, you might open that book and you read and he reveals to you the exact same thing you saw last time and the time before and the time before. That's a hint. You're supposed to be learning something, and you're not. That's why he keeps showing you the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Now, there are a ton of different ways to study the Bible. This is just one. In our small groups, we've been studying what's called the devotional method, but there are many, many more. I'm going to list a few just so you can hear some of the names, so if you come across materials associated with this, okay? There's the chapter summary method, the character quality study method, how to study a theme, how to study biographical information, a topical Bible study, a word study in the Bible, a book background, a book survey. 
a chapter analysis, a book synthesis, a verse-by-verse analysis. And the only difference between each and every one of those methods is the questions that you ask. The more questions you ask, the more you're going to get out of any particular passage. So today, in your outline that, there, that is there on those chairs, pick it up. There are four words. The word observation, the word interpretation, the word correlation, and the word application. These are the four things that you're going to do each and every time you sit down and you look at a passage of Scripture and study it for yourself. So we're going to take a moment and explain each one of those words briefly, and then we're actually going to do a study together today. All right? The first word of anybody, first step of any Bible study is that of observation. This is the easiest, easiest step. You just ask this question, what does this verse, passage, story say? You just look at the verse, you look at the story, the text, and you write down what you observe. It's literally whatever you see. You're not trying to interpret it. You're not trying to find meaning out of it. You just ask the question, what does it say? And then you write it down. Now, remember the difference between reading, Bible reading, and Bible study. Bible study, you got to record something, whether it's written, whether it's typed, whatever it is, you have to put it down on paper. Why? Because if you're like me, you'll forget if you don't put it down. If you're not making notes, then one would argue maybe you're not actually studying, you're just reading. So you got to record something. Observation, simple. Look at the text, write down what it says, that's it. Second step is actually interpreting what you wrote down. This is what it says. Now, what does that mean? The question is, what does it mean for interpretation? Some people would say, doesn't the Bible just mean what it says? And the answer to that is, not always. Not always. The Bible is a book of literature. It's a book of communication. And just like you and I communicate today, we don't always say what we mean, do we? Sometimes we use metaphors, analogies, phrases that literally don't mean what we're saying. The example that Pastor Warren used with his church was, hey, if I wrote you a letter... And I've said in that letter that, hey, you've been pulling my leg. And a thousand years from now, somebody digs up that letter, translates it into their own language, say, wow, if they take that literally, they're seeing that somebody is yanking on this man's leg. What's wrong with those people? Of course, that's not what it means, is it? They're joking with me. They're kidding with me, right? Well, the same thing can be said in Scripture, so you have to evaluate. The point is, the Bible, actually, it means what it means, and that's it. So how do you figure out what something means? Well, one great way is to look at context. Look at the things around that verse, correlation. What other verses help explain this passage? You ask yourself, is there anything else in the Bible that help, would help me to understand what it is I'm reading right now? That's called correlation. Now, I have a little secret for you. The best commentary, write, write this down, it's really important. The best commentary on the Word of God, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. You don't have to buy another book. The Bible is its best commentary on itself. You can interpret an unclear passage in the light of a clearer one. In other words, if you read something in God's Word and it doesn't make sense, you don't know what it means, look for something else in God's Word that does make sense and can help explain what you're having a difficulty understanding. You can always use what's clear to explain the unclear. There are things that the Bible means, and there are things that the Bible definitely, most definitely, does not mean. And the way you figure that out is by looking at what the whole Word of God says. Application. The final question here. That is, what am I going to do about it? Application. What am I going to do about it? What does it say? What does it mean? What other verses help explain this? And what on earth am I going to do about this? No matter what you study, you're going to ask those four basic questions when you open the Word of God. 
So here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to go to Paul's letter to the Philippians. So open your Bible, your phone, or whatever device you use to chapter 2 of the Philippians, beginning in verse 19. And we're going to show you what this type of study actually looks like hands-on. All right? So as you're turning there, I'll give you some context. Paul. Paul's in Rome. He's in prison. He's about to appear before Caesar. He'd hoped to be released by now, but he hasn't. So he's writing letters to all these churches that he helped to start. This letter is to a church in the country of Greece a town called Philippi. The church has taken up a love offering for Paul and probably that Paul would distribute to some other churches. And now they've sent it to him. And so he's writing them a letter to thank them and to offer some of them encouragement and some advice back home in Philippi. All right? So I'm going to read this verse to, these verses to you beginning in verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have nobody else like him, like Tif, Tif, um, Timothy, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everybody else just looks after their own interests, not of those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proven himself. He has proved himself as a son with his father. He served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I can, as soon as I can, to see how things go with me. I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon, but I think it's also necessary to send back to you a man named Epaphroditus. We'll find out about him in a minute. My brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who's also your messenger because you sent him to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you. He's homesick. Why? He's distressed. Why? Because you heard that he was ill. Well, in fact, you're right. He was ill. As, as a matter of fact, he actually almost died. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Imagine being in prison. Someone comes to help you, and the person that came to help you died coming to help you. That would be terrible. <laughs> Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send Epaphroditus back to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Circle that if you're reading along. Honor men like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not offer me. In other words, all of you couldn't come, so you sent him. He risked his very own life to get from Greece to Rome, and now you need to honor and welcome him. Honor, joy, and honor men like him. Now, it is very possible, if you're like me, as you're reading through the text, that you might get to this part and go, you know, this part really isn't very deep. Um... You might even wonder, why did God even include this? Why did the Spirit inspire Paul to write this? It's just Paul writing about a couple guys that he's sending to Philippi. There's no meat in here. There's really nothing deep. So you might be tempted just to skip right over this and get on to some more deeper issues or more deeper topics, right? Well, here's the problem. If you did that, if you did that, you'd be missing out because you didn't take the time to do the observation and the interpretation and get the true meaning out of this, what seemingly is a very simple text. I'll remind you, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting in the ways of the Lord. Well, this is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what's true. It's useful to help us realize what's wrong in our lives, to help straighten us out, and it teaches us something very important about how to do what is right. So even as the, this seems like a passage where Paul's just talking about a couple of buddies, a couple of folks, and he's thanking them back home, hey, here you go, here they come, thank you so much for your help, let's move on. There's something deep, 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 deep here to teach us, all right? A couple weeks ago, I shared with you the words from Paul, Romans 15, 4. For everything in the Bible was written to teach us so that through the endurance and the encouragements of scriptures, we might have hope. 
This story is meant to encourage you. It is meant to offer you hope. Now, what's really cool is Pastor Warren, when he did this with his church, he actually took them through this passage in such a way I loved it. So I thought, you know what? I'll just literally share with you exactly what he shared because he did it so very well. I love the way he broke it down. Now, this passage is primarily talking to men, but women can certainly listen very closely as well because it will help all of us learn how to study God's word better. And women, if you're still in a phase of life where you're looking for a man one day, this passage will help define the kind of man you should should be looking for, all right? If you didn't get your Bibles out earlier, get them now. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're at, verse 19. Get that message notes sheet out beside you so you can start filling those those things out. We're going to go through these four steps together. What does it say? What does it mean? What else in the Bible has something to say about this? And what am I going to do about it? All right? So here we go. Observation. You're just going to write down what you see. You can do this today as you're listening, as you're reading along with us. All right? It's very simple. First, Paul intends to send two people back to Philippi. That's an observation. There's absolutely nothing spiritual about that statement. He's going to send two guys to Philippi. Their names? Timothy and Epaphroditus. That's right. In verse 19, he says, I hope to send Timothy to you. That's one. In verse 25, he says, I think it's necessary to send Epaphroditus back to you. He's from that church in Philippi. A second observation that you can make is that Paul, for some reason, Paul endorses these two guys. He he endorses them as role models, as men who deserve honor. In verse 20, he says about Timothy, I got nobody else like this man. Now, you might have read that, well, that's neat. Paul obviously really likes this guy named Timothy, right? You might have just jumped over that. Have you ever thought of the ramifications of Paul putting this in writing? Paul, possibly the greatest Christian, the greatest missionary for sure, to ever walk this earth is saying that he's never met anyone like this guy. Does that not intrigue you? Why? Paul, why do you love this guy so much? What is he, what's so special about him? What if you were recognized for your spiritual maturity, for the way you serve others, your faith and your service? That's not a small thing. So what's Paul going to say next about Timothy? Do you wonder? Hopefully You do. It should grab your attention. The second man, Epaphroditus, who on earth is he? Verse 29, welcome him and honor men like him. Paul's telling that church back in Philippi, hey, these guys, they're special. So whatever it is they're doing, they're doing it very well, and their lives are bringing glory and honor to the name of Jesus. So be sure to honor anyone else who's like these two guys, right? A third observation question is this. So, okay, what's so special about them? What, 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 what are these guys really like? Why are they so special? Why are they worthy of honor? Why do they deserve praise from man? What are these guys doing in their lives that makes them set apart in this way? So let's read through the passage and see if Paul tells us, because he does. He actually gives us five specific characteristics of these two men that we men can model our lives around as well. In verse 20 and 21, he says about Timothy that he takes a genuine interest in you. In verse 22, he says about Timothy that Timothy has proved himself. In verse 25, he says about Epaphroditus that he is my brother, he is my fellow worker, and he is my fellow soldier in this fight. What's that mean? See, I got to look at that. I got to interpret that, and I got to figure out what does he mean by that. In verse 26, he says that Epaphroditus longs to be with all of you. He is distressed because you're apart, because you heard about him. In verse 27 through 30, he says that Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life. So there's five characteristics. All you did was write down what you saw, 
Those are five things that Paul listed talking about those specific men. So now we get to go and we get to interpret that. We get to look at it and find out, okay, what do you mean by these things, Paul? This passage is so powerful because it gives us five marks of what it means to be a godly man. You could easily use these to define a godly woman as well, okay? If you want God's power in your life, if you want God to use you, if you want to be the kind of person that God blesses, then spend time in God's Word studying passages like this and learning from them. So we've got these five things. Now, what do they actually mean? So that's where we go next, verse 21. We find this first characteristic. I got nobody else, nobody else like Timothy. Why? Why? Because he takes a genuine interest in your welfare while everybody else is just looking out for themselves. And Paul says that's rare. It's unusual. It's different. So I got nobody else like them that's willing to put their interests aside and look after you. Everybody else on planet Earth, well, they're looking after number one, looking after themselves. I ask you, is a man like that rare today as well? You see, a godly man is caring. A godly man is compassionate. He's caring. He's unselfish. He thinks about others, not just about himself. He's not self-centered in any way. Timothy genuinely cares about these other people. Everybody else, after their own business, their own agenda, they got their own things to go and do. But Paul contends that a caring man is worthy of extra honor. How important is that message today. Everything in our culture, and I do mean everything, teaches you to be self-centered, to only care about you, to not truthfully care about anyone else. Every advertisement, every ad, every movie, every music video, every TV show, novel, magazine, video game, you name it, it's based on entertaining you. That's all that matters. It is so rare to find an unselfish man or woman. And Paul says, I don't have anybody that genuinely cares for you the way that Timothy does. The second thing we learned about Timothy is that he has proved himself. If you didn't already circle that, proved himself. What does that mean? Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. The word proved means tested. It means verified. It means checked out, determined to be reliable. This guy is tough. He is dependable, and he has proven himself to be faith, faithful. How many people do you know right now in this world that are dependable, who don't flip-flop, who keep their word, who show up when they say they're going to be there, who do what they say, who keep their promises, even if keeping their promise costs them something? The odds are pretty good. It's not very many. So the challenge becomes um, strive to be one. Strive to be one of those rare people. God is looking for men and women who are consistent who are proven, trustworthy, not wishy-washy, dependable, faithful, men and women that keep their word, men of conviction and character. Do you know the difference between conviction and opinion? An opinion is something you'll argue about. <clears throat> Politics. A conviction is something you're willing to die for. Do you have any convictions at all in your life? Is there anything that you're genuinely willing to to die for. See, God wants to build us into caring and consistent men and women. If we are committed to God's standard, if we're really genuinely committed to that, then we are fully reliable. We are full of conviction for the things of Jesus. We will be consistent in our values. We won't act this way with this group of people and that way with that group of people. We're not moody. We are consistent in our actions 
in our words. You see, the reality is, especially for kids, a lot of kids grow up never knowing whether the dad was going to hug them or hit them, whether their mom was going to just scream and yell at them and cast judgment upon them, or their mom would be willing to just love on them and listen. You see, these aren't traits of a godly man nor a godly woman. A godly man is caring always. He doesn't just care about himself and his own agenda. He cares about other people. He's consistent and he's proven reliable. Now, verse 25, we switch gears to Epaphroditus. He says this, he is my fellow brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. He gives us those three metaphors, brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. So that tells us a couple things. One, that a godly man is cooperative. He gets along well with other people. He said he's my brother. He's my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Why? Well, the Christian life, it's like a family, and it's also a fellowship, and it's also a fight. We are in a battle, folks. Hopefully you realize that by now. First, we're a family. Paul says he's my brother. We're related. If you didn't know this, the word brother or sister used to reference Christians is used over 133 times in the New Testament alone. For thousands of years, some of you know this, for thousands of years, people within the church referred to each other as brother and sister. Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, there's brother Les, sister Ann, yeah, it's brother Corey, yeah, brother David, yeah, that's how it worked. Now, it might seem weird to us, it might seem weird to someone outside the church, but is it really that bad of a thing? Maybe we should go back to it because it helps to remind everyone that this is the family of God. The church is not an institution. It's not a job. It is a family. It's a brotherhood and sisterhood. Scripture tells us, reminds us to treat older women as mothers, older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, younger women as sisters. Why? Because we're a family. We're the children of God. There's an important relationship lesson to learn in that terminology. So maybe, just maybe, we should use that. But beyond that, we're not just a family. We're a fellowship. We are fellow workers. We are in this thing together. It means we have the same task, the same mission, or the same great commission, if you will. We are to work together as the body of Christ. And not only that, but we are co-laborers in arms. Right? We are comrades at arms. We are fellow soldiers. We have the same battle. We have the same enemy. His name is Satan, in case you wondered. And we've got to support each other. We must encourage each other. We must lift each other up when we fall down. We must help those up that are broken, that have been wounded by the enemy. This is one of the reasons we so desperately want, as time goes on here, hopefully sooner than later, every single person to end up becoming part of a community group, part of a, a small group, part of the intimate family here at Berea. A godly man is cooperative. When you see a man who doesn't need anybody else, who doesn't need to go to church, who doesn't need to be a part of a small group, then would you with me pray for God to begin to soften that man's heart? You see, God created us for each other. Nobody, and I mean nobody, has it all together. I need things from you. You need things from me. It's the way God created us to be. You have strengths that will help someone else. And if you say you don't need anybody else, then you're shortchanging someone else who might need you. Because in reality, you do need someone else. Godly men and women are cooperative. They aren't lone rangers. They're not difficult to get along with. They know how to be on a team. They know how to work and work hard together. They know how to give. They know how to take. If, if you think about the reality of business and sports and, and things like that, a person that exhibits those characteristics are invaluable to the success of those companies, aren't they? 
it's no different in the body of Christ, only within the body of Christ, we should all be exhibiting those things. Now, Paul, of all people, Paul is a spiritual superstar. Now, thankfully, Paul's not still alive today because he would then send us a letter once he found out we called him that, and he would have very unnice things to say to us for calling him a spiritual superstar. But the reality is he knows. He knows that we are better together. We get more done together. He recognizes our need for one another. And a godly man knows how to work with others, how to be on a team. He's cooperative relationally. He's caring. He notices other people's needs, not just his own. And he's consistent. You can count on him to always keep his word. The fourth characteristic out of the five, verse 26, he talks about Epaphroditus. For he, Epaphroditus, longs for all of you. He is distressed because you heard he was ill. Now, this is an emotional thing. He is very upset about the fact that everybody back home found out that he got sick on this trip. Reminder, church, Greece, Paul, Rome, 800 miles between the two, approximately. They take up this love offering to send over to Paul. They have a meeting like this, and they ask, hey, is anybody willing to take this offering 800 miles over to Paul? It's going to take you two or three months. You're going to have to walk. Who's willing to go? Yeah, Epaphroditus raised his hand. No planes, no trains, no automobiles. There's going to be bandits. There's all kinds of risks and hazards and things along the way. No hotels to stay in. He's going to have to leave his business. He's going to have to leave his family. He's going to have to leave things behind for a few months and go and do this. In other words, there is a great personal cost to this man Epaphroditus leaving. We found out that on the trip he got sick, not just a little sick, but really sick. He almost died delivering the offering which the people had entrusted to him. If you didn't think about that, think about how much the church trusted him, giving him this offering that he wouldn't spend it, he wouldn't steal it. He'd make sure it got to the right place because he was a man of integrity. Then word gets back that he almost died on this peace trip, right? He was out there, he gets sick, so everybody gets worried. What's his reaction? His reaction is he is distressed by their distress. He's concerned by their concern. He's worried about the fact that they're worried about him. He's not worried about the fact that he almost died. He doesn't care about the fact he almost died. He cares that the fact he almost died messed up everybody back home. That's what he's worried about. Think about a man thinking like that. We don't think that way anymore, do we? He's considerate. Considerate means you think of others. You listen to what they say. You think of their emotions. You consider how you, what you say has an impact on other people. Paul's letting us know that Epaphroditus longs to be home. He's distressed because he wants to go home and say, hey, guys, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm so thankful that God spared me. I'm fine. It's okay. Have you ever been that way? Have you ever been distressed by someone else in distress? Have you ever been worried because of someone else's worries? Are you ever concerned by somebody else who's afraid or in fear? Or are you one of those people that just look at him and say, hey, get over it? You see, a godly man wouldn't do that. A godly man is considerate. He concern, he's concerned about the feelings of others. Doesn't mean you might not have to speak truth in their life at some point in time, but you're concerned. You've heard it said by a lot of people, hey, you know what, I just say what I think. They kind of almost brag about that. I want to give you, write this down, it's important. I want to give you something, there's a word for those kinds of people. Rude. It takes a mature person to hold their tongue. If you have no filter, you hear that bragged about now. It's not something to brag about. You see, as a follower of Jesus, you got to know that there's a time to say things and there's a time not to say things. We must be considerate of others for the cause of Christ. What we think doesn't really We've got to be concerned about the cause of Christ. And the words we use could drive someone away or bring him near. 
In verse 27, he says, indeed, talking about Epaphroditus was ill. He almost died. He almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you couldn't give me, people. Get over it. He's fine. He's awesome. Circle that phrase, risking his life, because this is the fifth characteristic of a godly man. He's caring. He thinks about others, not just himself. He's consistent. He keeps his word. He's proven trustworthy. He's cooperative. He's a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. He's considerate. And now he's, he's worried about how you are feeling emotionally. And the final one here, a godly man is courageous. He risked his life, and he almost died for the work of Christ. A godly man is fearless for the cause of Christ. We should all pray that same prayer, that we will be fearless for the Lord. Now, he's not courageous for his own personal gain. He's taking a risk for the benefit of others in the kingdom of God. Now, all kinds of people are willing to take risks. We, we do it all the time. They go climb mountains, they scale walls, they race cars, they, they go on exotic hunting trips and things like that. They bet all they have on a business deal, and those are all great, and they might all bring personal gain. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who risks themselves, something of themselves, for the benefit of someone else. How often do you do that? How often do you take risks for the benefit of someone else? That's a godly man or woman. He made a, a very inconvenient journey for the benefit of another, for the benefit of the cause of Christ. He put the cause of Christ before his personal comfort. He's going from Greece to Rome. They took up this offering. He's committed to finishing what he started because he nearly died on the trip, folks. But he didn't quit. He was persistent. He overcame. Let me ask you this. If your pastor, that would be me, said, hey, we're going to take up a love offering for a church about 800 miles south of here. Let's just go. Let's just throw it in a, across the border into Mexico. Now, here's the thing. You can't drive. You got to walk. Um, I need you to take that offering down there to that church. You'll be fine. It'll be great. It's a great time of year to make that trip. Would you be willing to do that? How many hands would we have go up? Say, I'll walk down there. I'll take the offering. That'd be great. It'd be awesome. Epaphroditus demonstrates a very special kind of courage that a godly man or woman should exhibit. And there aren't many of us like that today. It's very rare. Most people say, hey, yeah, I live for Christ. Absolutely, I live for Christ when it's convenient. <clears throat> I love the church. I love going to church as long as it's not a ball game on or I got something else to be or somewhere else to go or something else to do because I couldn't possibly schedule around church. No, honestly, what else have we put before God, before our daily devotion studies, before the things that we know we should be doing God uses courageous people who put profit before put put uh, sorry who who put people before profit got the peas switched around who put courage before comfort and convenience who put service before security who take a risk for the kingdom of God and serve God and others with reckless abandon and Paul goes on to say we should honor people who are willing to do that that phrase that Paul used is actually really important. He said he risked his life. The Greek word used there is a gambling term. Literally, Epaphroditus, when he volunteered to do that, he was rolling the dice. He didn't know if he would make it back alive. He didn't know if he'd make it with that offering to Rome. But he was, in essence, saying, hey, if I die trying, so be it. I die trying. Now, we see people gambling their life on stupid things all the time, don't we? Instead of risking their life for things that count, things that matter. So the question becomes, is your commitment to Christ deep enough to cause you to personally risk anything at all in your life? Or is it just a faith of convenience? 
Think of it this way. Imagine in that church congregational meeting where they take up the offering and they ask for volunteers. And Baptist, I was like, hey, I would, man, if this was only in like um, uh, February, I could go. Because, you know, business a little slower. I could, I could get that done. You know, I got, a, I got a business to run, people. Man, I got a family to take care of. I've got kids in school. You're going to ask me to leave all this behind for months? I'm going to leave my shop. I'm going to lose out on money. I'm going to get behind on things. I can't. I don't got time to do something like this, to travel to another nation just to deliver an offering? Come on, that's kind of irrational for you to ask me to do such a thing. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, there will come a time, and that time may be very, very soon, (laughs) where God's going to call us and you here at Berea to take a risk in your life for others, to be courageous in our faith, and the question becomes, will you answer the call? Now, it might be something as simple as placing worship each and every week as a priority for you and your family. It might be something as simple as volunteering for the first time or volunteering in a new way. It could be joining a team that goes out on the mission field the next time we send one, and we will. It could be serving in the food pantry here on Thursday or Wednesdays when they get the delivery in about 1.30 and they need help loading the van with all the stuff in it to get set up for Thursday. It could be joining a small group. It could be serving at Oblong Christian Children's Home. It could be courageously sharing Jesus with someone else. So today we've looked at this idea of observation. What does it say? Then we looked at interpretation. What does it mean? Then we said these people are worthy of honor. What kind of people are worthy of honor? Caring, consistent, cooperative, considerate, courageous people are worthy of honor. So then we get to correlation. This is a really simple one. Correlation is when we ask, is there anything else in the Bible that would tell us about this passage? In this case scenario, the best question to ask was, is there anything else in the Bible that tells me more about Timothy? Why is he so special? Or Epaphroditus? Well, the answer is yes. Timothy is really easy. Uh, You can read two letters that Paul wrote specifically to Timothy. They're called first and second Timothy. Um, Pretty obvious to find those. You could take those. Now you could read them, find out more about this guy named Timothy and why Paul says there is nobody else like this guy right here. Epaphroditus, not so much. He's only mentioned one other time. It's later on in the book of Philippians in chapter 4, and it kind of just describes a little further what, why they sent him to Paul. Another thing I might ask is, does the Bible have anything to say about these qualities, correlation, related, these qualities of caring, consistency, cooperation, consideration, and courage? How would you find that? In a book like this, how would I find those words in here? Great question. You get a book like this. Now, this is a concise concordance. (laughs) This is not an exhaustive concordance. There's a difference between the two. What do those words? It's basically just a giant index of words. It has every word in the Bible in there, and you can find the words you're looking for, and it'll show you every single verse in the entire Bible where that word is used. Some of those times, it'll be relevant to what you're studying. Some of the times, it will be completely irrelevant to what you're studying, but it will show you all of the instances. My advice to you, if you're interested, is get a concordance that matches the version you read. So if you read the New International Version, the NIV, get an NIV concordance. If you read the New Living Translation, get a New Living Translation concordance, and on and on it goes. As I said, this is a concise concordance. This actually has a dictionary in it, too. But there's also an exhaustive concordance, which literally has every single word in there. Pretty sure the word the is in there, and you could do a Bible study on the word the if you wanted to. I wouldn't recommend it. 
it would be horrible. But you could, you could definitely do that. You open that, that book up, you want to look for the word marriage. You want to look for the word money, faith, pride, you name it. That concordance will show you all the places in God's word where that word is used. It's an incredible resource. It is very valuable if you're doing a correlation study. Okay? You could get a study Bible. This is my personal favorite. It's a New American Standard Study Bible. It's even got the cheater tabs for where your, your books are in the Bible. But half of the page is scripture. Half of the page is additional notes. So you've got tons of things to study and read along with in the Bible with you. That study Bible is going to usually have a little concordance in the back. So this is perfect for, remember that time where you knew that verse? You're like, oh, what verse was that? I, oh, I can't remember. How do I find it if I can't remember where it is? Well, you know some words from it. So you look in that concordance and you find that word, those words that you know, and you look for the texts that have those words and you find the verse. It's an incredible, incredible tool. Here's the really cool thing. Anymore, you wouldn't have to buy one of these books because we have this thing called the internet. And there are so many incredible resources, software, websites, things. I love to go to BibleGateway.com and I'll type in a passage and I'll click a little box and it'll show me every single translation of that passage. So I can read all of them back to back to back to back to back and I can see just how they compare and how they state things ever so slightly differently. There's some other websites that I use almost every single week to just do some research and find things and look at Greek and Hebrew and just different things like that that anyone could use and they're all free. If you're one of those people that would enjoy studying that way, email me, Chris, K-R-I-S at bccbrazil.org. I will send you the links to every tool that I use on a regular basis, okay? They might be useful for you. They might not be. There are so many tools online, meaning there is no, no good reason at all whatsoever not to study God's word. Regardless of where you are in your walk, if you're a brand new Christian and you're just learning about Jesus, or if you're a person that's been with Jesus your entire life, you can grow using these tools. But here's the problem. <laughs> They're just that, tools. And they could easily sit on the workbench and collect dust, just like most of our tools do. Or they could be used to build something incredible in your life. But if you never use the tools, then they'll never be able to serve their full purpose in your life. God's word will not be able to serve its purpose in your life if you're not willing to study it. So the final step, the final piece to the Bible study, that fourth thing is application, right? The most important thing of all, you only believe the parts of the Bible you actually are willing to do. It's not enough to study. Study will give you a huge brain and a tiny you have to actually do it. Remember, pretty sure this was the memory verse for this week. Do not deceive yourselves and merely listen to the word. Do what it says. James 1.22. If you've not been able to be in a small group, a community group yet, I cannot tell you how important this is, and I'm going to continue to repeat it. So would you make a commitment to God right now that the next time we do one of these all-church studies, that you and your family will get involved with a community group, get involved with a deeper study in God's word. It is so, so important. So far in our small groups, we've been talking about this thing called the devotional method, okay? The devotional method. We've talked to different ways of how to get deeper into God's word. The first week was the pronouncement method, where we, we took the verse and we took it apart word by word by word and broke it all apart. The second week, we looked at the picture it method. We imagined what would it be like if I was in the scene? How would it feel to be there? What would I have done if I was one of those people in this particular Bible scene, how would I have responded? But we don't leave it there. Each week we take it to application. How can you apply this specific verse, this truth to your life? Now this last week, if you were a part of small groups, you got introduced to an acronym called Space Pets. 
Space Pets. Yes, it's a stupid acronym. I get that completely. But it helps you remember the nine questions. That's why you need it. It's nine questions. It's a lot to remember to help you ask questions about any text, how to apply the text. Now, if you haven't already picked it up, pick up that card beside you because these are listed at the bottom of your card. They're in yellow. I highlighted them for you. Here are the nine questions of application. In the passage you just read, is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change, a command to obey, an example to follow? Is there a prayer to pray in this verse? Is there an error to avoid in this verse? Is there a truth to believe? And is there something that I can thank God for? What they suggest is take those nine questions that are on that little piece of paper and you write them down right here in the front cover of your Bible. So every time you read the scripture, you can look right here. Well, is there a sin to confess? Is there? And you can go through each thing piece by piece and break it down. As you study a passage, you go through those questions. This passage from Philippi, let's just go through the five space, okay? Is there a sin to confess? Not really. Maybe if you struggle with one of those issues, but probably not a sin to confess. Is there a promise to claim? No. No, there's really not a promise to claim in there. Is there an attitude to change? Yes. Yes. Do I always put other people ahead of me? Am I always consistent? Is there something I need to change? Is there a command to obey? Absolutely. Honor men like this. Is there an example to follow? Absolutely. Five. I've got to be consistent as a, a believer, a man or woman of God. I've got to be caring. I've got to be cooperative with others. I've got to be an example of being considerate. I've got to be courageous for Christ. Yeah, there's definitely an example to follow. Paul writes to honor those like this. Do I know anybody that fits these bills? Do I know any men or women in my life who are caring, who are consistent, who are cooperative and considerate, courageous? If I do, then I need to honor them. Whoever it is, figure out a way to honor them. Maybe you write them a thank you note. Maybe you get them a gift and you send it to them anonymously. There's no need for them to know who it's from. Maybe you invite them to lunch and you tell them, hey, I want to let you know that I see these godly qualities in you and I just thought it'd be nice to let you know. God commands us to honor people like that. Maybe for you, it's which of these five applications am I going to work on this week? Which one do I need to work on in my life do I need to be more considerate? Do I need to be more courageous for the cause of Christ? Do I need to think and be more caring about other people? Do I need to be more cooperative and work with others better and try to quit trying to do it all by myself? Do I need to be a part of a small group? On that outline, this is a great place. Write down which of those five qualities you personally need to work on. You see, this message is desperately needed today. I don't know if you're aware or not. We'll talk about it at the end of service. Look at the week ahead. Consider all of the possible outcomes. Now more than ever, we need a desire to study the word of God. Now more than ever, we need to know how to study the word of God. But not just study it, we got to put it into action. We got to live it. We got to do it. And if you claim to be a follower of Christ, you really don't have a choice. We're in desperate need of men God today. We desperately need women of God today who are caring, who are consistent, cooperative, considerate, and courageous. And to think, you could have easily just slipped right over this passage as, oh, look, that's Paul talking about two nice people that he's sending back to Philippi. There's so much to glean from something so simple in God's word. The memory verse for next week is really important to next week's message. 
Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. You've heard some characteristics of a godly man or godly woman today. Are you going to hide those characteristics in your heart so that you begin living them out? I'll repeat it again, Psalm 119.11. I have hidden my word in your heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.11. Consider that today. Father God, as we come into your presence today and we look at your word and how precious it is, Father, we, we don't have to, to read every word of the Bible every day. Father, we take a simple thing like just those few verses in the middle of a chapter and go, God, hey, what's here? And we write down just what we see. We see these two men. Okay, great. We see that Paul wants to send them home. Okay, great. We see that one of them is kind of distressed. We see that there's, there's some words listed here talking about these men. What do they mean? So we dive in and we read about these men and the kind of men they were and why they were deserving of honor and why Paul never had anyone like Timothy. And we go, wow, that's a man of God. How, how do I become such a man of God? And we, we look a little further and we look at those words and we realize what they mean. And, and then we begin to think, oh my goodness, in my life, I'm not very considerate of others. Man, I kind of just blow off people because I got things to do, places to be. Man, I'm not really that caring. I don't really express myself in that way because that's just not who I am. Well, God would say, if you're one of my children, do I love you? Yeah, well, then you need to love others. Father, we take all of these things and we ask ourselves, man, okay, God, you've laid this before me. How on earth, how on earth do I become like this? How do I become this man or this woman of God? God, what would you have me to do? Let that question echo in every person's mind that's listening, whether online or in person. Let them just hear that question all week. How do I become that person? And then let's strive to achieve that goal. Let's be with family first.